When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. It's Friday, so we're going over all the Raiders news stories for the week and of course answering your mailbag questions. If you'd like to have your questions answered on a future show, either tweet them at me at mholder95 or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. That's mholder95 on Twitter or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com via email. Things might be calming down around the league, but there's always drama coming out of Raiderland, so let's get to it. We'll start off with one of the biggest news stories from last Friday. The Raiders have traded wide receiver Brian Edwards to the Atlanta Falcons. Las Vegas sent Edwards and a conditional 2023 7th round pick to Atlanta in exchange for a 2023 5th round pick. The 2023 round pick finishes his tenure with the Silver and Black after two seasons where he hauled in 45 receptions for 764 yards and 4 touchdowns and leaves John Simpson and Amik Robertson as the only members left from the 2020 draft class on the roster. Also, the Raiders saw have an opening for the number three wide receiver spot, which the newly signed Keelan Cole is likely the favorite to fill. Edwards will join former teammates Marcus Mariota, Casey Hayward, Eric Harris, and Nick Kwiatkowski on the Falcons, and this comes a week after I said I would never have to say Kwiatkowski on the podcast again. Best of luck to you in Atlanta, Brian. The Raiders got in hot water last week when former president Dan Ventrelli was allegedly fired for being a whistleblower by reporting the organization and Mark Davis to the NFL for creating a hostile work environment. A spokesperson from the league later stated that they are recently made aware of the allegations and are investigating, while Davis and the Raiders have yet to publicly make a comment on the matter. A week later, and the plot is thickened and the water is starting to boil out in the desert. More than a dozen of the organization's former employees spoke out about the workplace dysfunction in an article by the New York Times, citing several troubling issues ranging from failing to pay bills to racial discrimination. There were, the former employees said, lax controls over how money was spent and how people were paid, and even the bungling of the payment of, of its taxes over several years. Not long after its move, the team missed a payment for the electric bill in its temporary office, forcing the lights to be shut off. The Raiders didn't just stiff the electric company, though. Several employees, including former cheerleaders and scouts, have sued the club for underpayment and violating labor laws, according to the Times. Those suits have forced the organization to pay out over $2.5 million in settlements. Even beyond the lawsuits, the Raiders appear to have questionable business practices. Nicole Adams, who worked in the team's human resources department from 2016 to 2020, said she was asked to create job descriptions that would make it impossible for employees to file for overtime, despite the grueling hours that can come with the NFL season. It sounds like Frantrelli wasn't the first person to approach Davis with these concerns, and those people were met with a similar fate. Employees who raised concerns over the team's operations were often ignored or pushed out and given settlements and non-disclosure agreements to keep them quiet. If anyone complained, they were let go, said Adams. She was pushed out in late 2020 and declined to sign a severance agreement that she said would have prevented her from speaking out about her tenure with the team. She said that Ventrelli, then the team's general counsel, joked he would be ready to settle if anyone came forward with a charge. Adams, who is black, 
has filed a complaint to the Nevada Equal Rights Commission against the Raiders, accusing them of discriminating against her because of her race and retaliating against her for raising concerns about pay disparities and unequal treatment. In other words, it looks like Davis and the organization have had to deal with several legal issues since moving to Las Vegas, and it doesn't seem like those will end anytime soon. As always, this is a fluid situation, and as more updates become available, I'll be sure to let you guys know about them. On a lighter note, if you're looking at going to a game this season, be prepared to open your wallet as wide as possible. A recent study by TicketIQ recently found that the Raiders have the highest ticket prices on the secondary market in the NFL, and it's not very close either. The Raiders have an average list price of $739, which is nearly 90 bucks more than the team in second place, the New England Patriots. From a single game perspective, when the 49ers come to Las Vegas for the first time, tickets are currently averaging $655, which is the highest amount for a single game by $271. Vegas also has the 3rd, 5th, 8th, and 10th highest price tags for individual matchups, so again, be prepared to shell out some dough if you want to go to a game this year, or try and win it back at the casino. I'm also not responsible for any losses. The NFL is holding an inaugural coach and front office accelerator next week at the Spring League meeting in Atlanta, where senior women and minority prospects will be provided with leadership development sessions with football operations experts and facilitators, as well as the opportunity to network with club owners. This is an effort to continue building a diverse pipeline for future head coach and general manager positions throughout the league. Each team nominated rising prospects to participate, and the representative for the Raiders will be Dwayne Joseph. Joseph was one of the few holdovers with the new regime and has been with the Raiders as the director of pro scouting since 2019. He's widely considered an up-and-coming GM prospect, so hopefully this can help advance his career. While we're talking about the front office, the Raiders made another addition by bringing on Brad Goldsberry as director of football systems. Goldsberry is originally from Colorado and went to MIT for college where he was an all-conference running back slash wide receiver, so the nerd can play a little bit too. Goldsberry was previously the director of football analytics and research with the Chicago Bears. Last week, we had the regular season get finalized, and this week we've got the preseason squared away. As you probably already know, the Raiders will take on the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Hall of Fame game on August 4th at 5 p.m. PST. For their next preseason game, they'll be in Las Vegas to host the Minnesota Vikings on August 14th at 1.25 p.m. Then, the Raiders head to Miami to take on the Dolphins with a 4 p.m. kick on the 20th, and finally, they'll head back home to play the Patriots at 5.15 on August 26th. It was also announced that the Raiders and the Pats will hold joint practices before the contest, which isn't surprising given the connection between the two teams, but at the same time, it is a little surprising since they will play each other during the regular season. The Raiders will also play the Jags during the games that count, so Vegas will have to play half of its preseason opponents, opponents twice this year. On to a few signings, Las Vegas has made three additions to the roster after rookie minicamp with tight end Travis Kuntz, cornerback Stanford Samuels III, and offensive tackle Tyrone Wheatley Jr. Kuntz is originally from Austintown, Ohio, and went to Ventura Community College in Southern California, where he was the number two JUCO tight end of the country before heading to, Lo to Texas Tech. In three seasons in Lubbock, he managed 45 receptions for 647 yards and five touchdowns. Samuels is a Pembroke Pines, Florida native, and has played his college ball at Florida State. As a Seminole, he racked up 145 tackles and had 8 interceptions and 16 pass deflections in 3 seasons, earning all ACC honors as a junior. He entered the draft in 2020, but signed as an undrafted free agent with the Green Bay Packers and ended up making the team. However, he was released during training camp and was on the Braves practice squad for one week last season. 
You probably recognize Wheatley's name as his dad, who shares the same name, had a 10-year NFL career, including six years with the Silver and Black from 1999 to 2004. Junior is from Buffalo, New York, where he was a four-star recruit as a tight end and defensive end, and he began his college career at his father's alma mater, Michigan. He battled injuries and struggled to get playing time in Ann Arbor and ended up transferring to Stony Brook. Wheatley has since changed positions to offensive line and started his professional career in the Spring League before joining the Chicago Bears practice squad last season. In corresponding moves, the Raiders released wide receiver Trey Turner, who had just signed a $40,000 guaranteed contract as an undrafted free agent, and offensive lineman Brett Hagee. The Raiders also had an alumni retire this week as defensive lineman Jack Crawford decided to hang him up. Crawford grew up in England but moved to the States in high school where he started playing football and eventually earned a scholarship to play at Penn State. He was the Raiders' fifth-round pick in 2012 and appeared in 15 games with 12 tackles over two seasons. Crawford also played with the Cowboys, Falcons, Titans, and Cardinals and finishes his NFL career with 165 total tackles and 18 sacks. One more piece of news before we move on to questions. Former Raiders offensive coordinator Greg Knapp was honored by the Pro Football Writers of America with the Dr. Zimmerman Award, which is given for a lifetime achievement as an assistant coach in the NFL. For those that don't remember, Knapp tragically passed away after a biking accident last summer, so this will be another way that his legacy lives on. Alright, question time. As your weekly reminder to have your questions answered on a future show, tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. First up, what's your pick for the starting O-line week? Uh, excuse me. What's your pick for the starting O-line lineup, and how would you grade that lineup? So this one's a tough one, a tough question, uh, certainly to answer right now. I'm going with what I'm going to think the week one um, starting lineup can be, and I can see this obviously changing quite a bit. There's going to be quite a bit of ambiguity. Obviously, Colton Miller is going to be the left tackle. I think that's kind of the foregone conclusion. No one's going to doubt that one. Left guard, I think it's going to be John Simpson. I think John Simpson is going to be a good fit in this uh, McDaniels offense. I think he'll be a little bit better if they run a little bit more gaps, um, a little more gap runs. And he was pretty good in pass protection last year, so I think he's going to hold down that spot. Center is, I think, uh, kind of ironically or coincidentally from this point last year. It's probably the other spot that's locked down with Andre James. I think he'll stick there at, at center and uh, be the starter week one. Another solid player. I'm excited to see what James can do in year one and see if he can build on his growth uh, that we saw at the end of the year. Right guard, I'm going to go with uh, Dylan Parnham for now. I think uh, I think he'll end up taking over that spot for Leatherwood. I think Leatherwood, while he was better at right guard, I think he still left something a little bit, to be a little bit too much to be desired as I fumble through those words right there. And then uh, at right tackle, I'm going to go with Brandon Parker. I think uh, Parker right now is kind of the their, maybe their best option right now at right tackle that can play there. I think Leatherwood kind of proved that he that he couldn't hold it down last year. And I know it uh, seems weird to have a first-round pick be riding the bench to start start week one. But again, I keep saying this, this isn't the, uh, the regimen that drafted Leatherwood, so I can see them not wanting to necessarily tie themselves to him and kind of wanting to have him take a back seat. Um, obviously, again, could it see him end up winning the job? I wouldn't be surprised if Parham maybe ends up uh, riding the bench or not riding the bench or being a second stringer to start off the year and they give the the nod to the little bit more experienced Leatherwood to start things out and then obviously things could be fluid throughout the season. But that's what I'm going to go with for my week one prediction right now. And as far as what I would grade them overall, I think I'd give them a C plus right there. I think Again, Miller's going to be your stud. 
James, I think, is going to be a, a decent player for them. A lot of question marks around the board elsewhere. But I think this is a solid to or a solid or an average to slightly above average lineup for right now. Again, it's one I think they can still win with, but obviously one that's going to be fluid and going to change a lot throughout the year. Even in week one, I wouldn't expect it to be be very similar at all to the end of the year. I think they're going to be. I think we're going to see a lot of different uh, matchups, and maybe I w- wouldn't be surprised if we see almost like a sixth man on the offensive line this year where they kind of uh, rotate guys in and out, but we shall see. This will be uh, obviously the biggest thing to watch during training camp, so I'm excited to see. I'm sure someone's going to hold me to this you know, five months from now and tweet this at me about how big of an idiot I am. Second question, is there any chance that with the new coaching staff in Vegas, either Jonathan Abram or Cleveland Farrell reach their individual potential? I'm going to start with Jonathan Abram. I'm, I'm very interested to see what Jonathan Abram can do under Patrick Graham. I thought Jonathan Abram made a tremendous amount of strides last year. Granted, he wasn't playing as much uh, of the deep safety look and playing almost as, as another linebacker, but I thought he made a lot of strides in the underneath coverage last year. Obviously, we know he's always kind of been, been a, a pretty stout run defender with how physical he is. So I'm excited to see what Patrick Graham can do and how Patrick Graham wants to use him and see if he almost kind of just converts him into a full-on linebacker or maybe not. By position or anything, but you know, playing on the second level more frequently than not, similar to last year, but almost more advanced. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. I feel like Patrick Graham. If anyone's going to get the the most out of Jonathan Abram, it'll be uh, Patrick Graham. So I'm excited to see what he can do. As for Cleveland Farrell, I mean, I was I was kind of hoping maybe they would put him at maybe a, a three to a five technique, kind of make him a smaller defensive tackle. Um, and see how he fits in that type of scheme or in that type of role in this scheme. Uh, he was in an interview the other day saying he was an outside linebacker, which is basically means he's going to be a stand-up defensive end. I don't think he's athletic enough to fit in that new scheme. Again, you know, maybe Patrick Graham can work some miracles, but I kind of get the feeling that that Cleveland has uh, tapped out his, uh, his his athletic potential here with the Raiders, and this will probably be his last year um, with the silver and black. So. I'm less optimistic about Farrell, but I am interested and I am very curious to see what Abram can do. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to, to see what he can uh, put together with under Graham. So a little bit of a change of pace for me from last year as I was completely on the opposite side of the spectrum. So, All right, third question here. Will Josh Jacobs excel and be given a new contract? I kind of look at this as two different questions. Yes, I do think Josh Jacobs will excel. I think he'll have a good year. I think, uh, with the, the, especially with how McDaniels likes to involve running backs in the passing games, I think that we'll finally be able to get to see that um, tapped into from Jacobs. Um, so I think he can have a big year, and I think he will excel. Will he be given a new contract? I don't think it's going to be with the Raiders. I think you look at what the the Patriots have done in the past. They have gone by the committee approach, and you look at what the Raiders have done this year, where I should say what McDaniels has done this year with the uh, with that position group. He's added quite a few guys where I think they're going to use another rotation. So I think Jacobs can do well in this offense, and I think he'll play well, and I'm expecting big things from him. But I don't expect the Raiders to bring him back just because I think McDaniels kind of used that position as somewhat expendable and as something that he'd probably rather have a committee approach to anyway. So I just don't see them giving the big money to Jacobs in a, in a contract extension. To me, if they were going to give him a contract extension, it would have made more sense to, to opt in or use his fifth-year option because just because you take that option doesn't mean you actually have to use it. It almost would just buy you more time in a, in a contract negotiation. So I think if they're going to give him big money, they would have at least taken that step first and then kind of gone from there. But, I mean, obviously we'll see what happens. But, yeah, again, I think I think Jacobs 
can do well in the system. We've seen plenty of other running backs for the Patriots that are no names and not even in the league anymore play really well. And I think it fits his skill set really well. I just don't think the Raiders are going to give him another contract. Last question. Why do you think the Raiders traded Edwards given that they aren't that deep at wide receiver? That's a pretty good question. You know, I definitely agree with the sentiment that the Raiders aren't deep at wide receiver. I think after Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro, there's a steep drop-off between the rest of the crew. Granted, those two are pretty good players, so anyone would be a steep drop-off, but they definitely lack some depth. Obviously, trading away a a starter from last year kind of contributes to that or adds to that problem, but I think it's it's a few things. I think mainly it comes down to, or it all kind of ties back to McDaniel's philosophy. What I was just talking about, he obviously involves the running backs a lot in the passing game. I also think he wants to involve the tight ends quite a bit. If you think back to the uh, Patriots' heyday of having Aaron Hernandez and uh, Rob Gronkowski at the same team, I don't think they have that, or the Raiders have that necessarily, but I do think they obviously have a pretty good tight end in uh, Darren Waller. And then they have a guy in Foster Moreau who, I mean, I will admit I've been disappointed in, or was disappointed in last year, was expecting a little bit more, but I think they can maybe be able to tap into his potential. And then I think from there, I think they may only really need or really heavily utilize those other two guys, those other two wide receivers. So I think they kind of look at the position as not not necessarily, not necessarily necessary. That's a weird sentence, but I don't think they necessarily need a huge number three receiver. And I think the biggest thing with Edwards that probably scared McDaniels off is Edwards, as we know, struggles to separate as more of a contested catch guy. What I just described was Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry has obviously not worked out well in uh, out in New England, so I think probably part of him was thinking he's that's that Edwards just isn't his type of guy. They bring in Keelan Cole, and I think I think the day after they made the Keelan Cole transaction official is when they traded Edwards, which Keelan Cole is not the the biggest guy in the world, a little bit more the, that smaller slot receiver type um, type of receiver that's a little bit shiftier, can create separation. So I think that's kind of where that kind of that mindset came from is Edwards doesn't really fit with the Raiders or what McDaniels, excuse me, wants to do offensively at that position. They tend to like and tend to prefer the smaller, quicker guys. Think back to the Julian Edelmans and the, the Wes Welkers, the, the Patriot way, if you will, a little bit. So I think Edwards just didn't fit. And if they are going to get a guy that's more of a contested catcher, maybe struggles to separate, they'd rather have someone like a Darren Waller, who's an even bigger body, or even a Foster Moreau, who, again, is an even bigger body that can go up and win those 50-50 balls. And, I mean, ultimately with Edwards, I feel like it just kind of wasn't working out overall in general. I think we always had hopes. Um, Him and Carr just didn't seem to have the great chemistry. Edwards had a couple bad drops last year, and I think that kind of contributed to that, where that Carr wasn't throwing up as many 50-50 balls, probably because, again, he didn't trust him quite as much. The drops will happen with all that stuff. So I think at the end of the day, it was just best for Edwards for them to move on. Um, I don't know if they maybe tried to look at drafting somebody too and uh, just never the board never fell right or anything like that or um, if they looked at someone else other than Devontae in the uh, the open market this offseason. But yeah, it, it was a little bit weird on the, on the timing a little bit, I will say too. I felt like if they were going to deal Edwards, they might have done it a little bit earlier. That's kind of where I'm coming from with maybe they were trying to see what they could get and feel their offers and, and go from there. But yeah, I think... What it really came down to is just McDaniels' system, and I don't think Edwards is the best fit. And so for him, I think best opportunity was to go play with Marcus Mariota over in uh, Atlanta, where Atlanta does seem to, to have a preference for those bigger body wide receivers if you just look at their roster. Um, Drake London, uh, Auden Tate's another big guy, and then obviously they have Kyle Pitts, the unicorn, who plays tight end. So I feel like at the end of the day, it was just kind of best for both parties to kind of 
mutually part part the ways and you know wish Edwards the best and I think the I think the Raiders will be all right again I think they have plenty of options between the running backs Josh Jacobs Kenyon Drake Brandon Bolden that can all catch the ball out of the backfield and then obviously the the receivers that they have with Hunter Renfro um Devontae Adams and uh Darren Waller and and don't sleep on Foster Moreau either again I think we'll see a lot of uh, a lot of 12 a lot of 22 personnel a lot of two tight sets this year for the Raiders all right, guys, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at mholder95. Make sure you're following Silver and Black Pride. Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate the support. Other than that, until next time, guys. <laughs>